Hello, everybody. This is David Goldsmith, and welcome to Redefining Tomorrow. Today, we're going to be exploring how do we organize when systems collapse, and I'm extremely excited because I don't even know where this is going. We have a fantastic person on the phone, Simone Chichiro. Did I say that properly? Yes. Okay. Well, I found... I found Simone on, uh, I think it was LinkedIn. I saw something, I read his bio, I was interested, and I reached out to him because of his platform work. And one of the things that he's very proud of what he's done is he's done work with, the, for example, the United Nations and platform design. He's also worked a lot on open source. He's uh, uh, created or especially proud of the We Share Fest that he's been involved in. And we have him on the line today. How are you today, Simone? Very good, very good. Preparing for an uh, intense week next, uh, next week. Uh, we're going to run a um, kind of important event with guests coming uh, from all over the world. So very excited. Good, great. Well, I'm assuming you have an outline for us. Can you share with us that outline so we can start into the program? Yes, so basically, um, I've been uh, always uh, focused on how we organize collaboratively a scale, I would say. Uh, and uh, now, these days, my biggest uh, question is to uh, understand, uh, as you said, how do we organize when the systems uh, collapse? And uh, basically, um, the, the first question that we, we should explore is, uh, uh, I think what is collapsing. So that's the first point, trying to understand what is collapsing. And uh, uh, in my opinion is uh, we, what we are seeing is. Uh, uh, so why don't we get that? Why don't we get the list first, and then we can go into each piece. Yes. So the the second point is uh, that uh, essentially when when systems collapse, what is the organizing that we we need to do? So. Uh, what's the organizing now? Uh, we we are used to a concept of organizing uh, uh, that is that needs to change, of course, when we acknowledge that systems are collapsing. And uh, the third point that I would like to explore is uh, what is the meaning of doing this at scale and in, in using global networked systems and technologies, uh, so that the technology world we are immersed in. So that's more or less the three points that I would like to explore with you. Okay, fantastic. So let's start with the first one. What is collapsing? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good, that's a very important point. I think it's a it's a um, it's a starting point for our conversation. And uh, more or less, I believe that uh, uh, what is collapsing is our um, existing ways to uh, to make meaning to to sense make, let's say. And uh, this depends on uh, essentially acknowledging that uh, uh, the first thing that is collapsing is what uh, uh, many call the game A. So our existing industrial uh, civilization uh, that is, um, let's say, a result of a long-term evolution starting, you know, dating back to uh, you know the, the 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 you know even the Greeks uh, the Greek philosophers let's say um, and uh, yeah basically together with this uh, industrial uh, um, this industrial civilization that is collapsing also the biosphere is collapsing and uh, of course these two are very much interrelated uh, the biosphere I would say is collapsing as a result of the dynamics. Uh, uh, of the of the uh, game A, this uh, industrial civilization. Uh, there's excellent work that uh, has been done, for example, by Daniel Schmachtenberger, um, one of the founders of Neurohacker Collective. It's doing a lot of interesting work in explaining why, let's say, the game A, this modern civilization, has uh, what he calls um, collapse generator functions. So basically. Uh, is kind of designed to collapse because it's a it's a rivalrous civilization. It's a system where there's competition everywhere, and uh, essentially the the big issue that we need to confront with is that uh, humans have more or less infinite potential. So these exponential capabilities to act uh, godlike, I would say, because uh, you know, of course, when you, for example, when you go in the ocean and you 
you, you know, you throw an, uh, a fishing net in the sea and you can capture, you can ca get a uh, hundred uh, tuna fishes. Um, you're not the shark. You know, you're, you're, you're much more than the shark. You're more, much more than an, an apex uh, predator. You are more like a god or nature itself, let's say. So, you know, if you, if you connect these with the uh, very much uh, competitive nature of our game A, of our industrial civilization, uh, yeah, you get uh, collapse embedded in the very uh, functioning of the system. So you cannot have... I'm, uh, I, maybe you could draw a connection for me because I, lo I loved where you were going. In terms, I mean, I was getting it. I was understanding the biosphere collapsing. I was understanding the game A. And uh, but why the two when they're together? Mm -hmm. Do you say collapse? Well, because basically, when you when you couple, uh, um, you know, this uh, in ever increasing possibilities that one individual has. You know, we have increasing exponential capabilities. Um, you know, um, with technologies, uh, very pervasive uh, technologies that we can use. Um, Basically, if we are competing with each other, we are going to use our potential to uh, basically grab as much as we can of nature, of resources, and so on, until we collapse. Because uh, you know this, because of this uh, inherently competitive system that we live. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, go ahead. Is it human beings or is it the system? Well, it's somehow it's uh, uh, it's uh, 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 human beings we, because you know the difference between human beings and uh, and the uh, natural system is that uh, uh, you know uh, for example as I said before a shark or a tiger can kill a limited number of uh, uh, prey uh, uh, while we can do much more we can you know we can basically with the technologies that we have the potential that we have we and our organizations. Uh, we can do much more harm to the system, you know, because we can consume much more resources in this race for competition. You know, probably the, the idea of the tragedy of the commons, you know, if you just put uh, uh, competitive actors around a natural or, or, a, or a scarce resource, let's say, uh, they are going to uh, uh, consume it and destroy it because uh, uh, each other is, uh, you know, concerned about what the others can do with the resources. So, uh, uh, you know, if you put competitive actors around a uh, uh, finite or scarce or, uh, well, even just finite resorts, uh, uh, they're going to uh, destroy it because of they are in competition. So if, unless they find a way to manage it collaboratively, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's not going to happen. So they, they are going to uh, basically destroy the, res the common resources that we have. And essentially our whole global system is, uh, uh, is um, I would say, premised on this idea of competition. If you think about our markets, for example, uh, everybody is competing with each other. If you think about the office, uh, you are competing with your uh, colleague. Um, you know, there's this competition infused in everything. And so this is what Smartenberger calls the uh, Rivarus system. No? And this Rivarus system uh, when uh, you know everybody's getting much much more potential with technologies uh, is uh, best, uh, you know fated to collapse you know imagine what's going on now with uh, uh, for example with technologies like uh, CRISPR so people can actually uh, more in increasingly edit DNA in which with very much democratic tools so imagine what can what can, uh, what can come up you know with uh, with this uh, these new tech possibilities uh, that are very pervasive, and uh, when everybody can change we're, DNA, we're playing. We're playing with fire. Exactly. <laughs> so, so when you use the word collapse, maybe uh, can you draw me a picture or give me an imagery of what you see collapsing look like, or what a collapse means in your definition of the civilization or humans combined with the biosphere collapsing what does that look like to you well uh, i'm not a collapse expert but uh, in general <laughs> uh, i would say there are several uh, levels of collapse that one can witness and uh, you know uh, let me, me let me be very uh, practical so for example now uh, as a consequence of our exponential capability to burn fossil fuel 
we have been messing with climate. And uh, 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 this year in the US, corn and soy output is probably going to be uh, affected very seriously by a uh, late uh, planting season that uh, started only in, in late uh, June, basically, because of uh, a very abundant uh, rains uh, uh, that uh, uh, we witnessed in the uh, corn belt. Mm? Yeah. So uh, this is a signal of a collapsing industrial system. So the industrial systems are, are premised on predictability. All these uh, systems we are, we are used uh, that are based on the rational uh, and mechanistic uh, episteme, you know, our way to confront with society through science and planning and management, uh, all this is essentially premised on predictability. So modeling, predictability, complicated systems, and so on. So these complicated systems don't really uh, um, deal very well with uh, uh, unpredictability. And you know, one time is climate becoming unpredictable, another time is just a few uh, um, people uh, running drones uh, uh, through uh, you know a Saudi. Uh, you know, oil, uh, oil, um, oil, the, the oil field. Exactly, the oil exactly. Field. like it was like, like two weeks ago. So it's really yeah. something that you cannot predict. And, uh, uh, you know, when these kind of systems collapse, imagine our food system starts to collapse, especially, you know, now it's the corn belt, maybe next year is the Russian uh, because, uh, because of a heat wave and so on. Then you can have many, many other, you know, complex systems uh, are really uh, keen to uh, uh, cascade-like effects. And so when food collapse, uh, then you can have a social systems collapse and, collapse, and then you have institutions collapse. And uh, yeah, we are, you know, for example, if you witness what's happening in the U.S., now you have a president that is uh, being in, somehow impeached and is... Uh, uh, you know, um, even talking about civil war on Twitter. So those are signals that uh, our political systems are more or less uh, collapsing because they cannot deal with the unpredictability of this uh, very complex and, and uh, global age. Okay, so I, what I, the, the word that you used which really stood out, which I loved, is the predictability side of it. That's what I wasn't getting between the biosphere and the, and the industrial uh, complex. And it was even interesting that you started all the way back from the Roman and Greek times, which was surprising. The, the predictability side of it is an easy way to understand collapsing. And I think that's a word that's not being used. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a very powerful word because you can explain to somebody the rainforest is doing X and Y being burned. Or you can explain the fact that we've had, we're overfishing the oceans. But it's really, in terms of human understanding, and I'm going to bring it down to a very basic level, I think it's the understanding, if you can connect it to predictability, it makes it an easier narrative. Mm -hmm. It's just an easier connective tissue because you could say, because of that, this happened. Oh, yeah, we didn't ship as much product last year. Or because of this, this happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, there were 12 more storms than we expected. So I, I love that word. That was, that was very good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So do, do you actually think about the collapsing? Well, I'm thinking about this because uh, essentially uh, with um, the demise of predictability, uh, what's collapsing is uh, our episteme our way to make sense of the world, essentially. And uh, because we are, we are used to an, an episteme that is rational and mechanistic. So it's based on predictability and causal relationships. Uh, then uh, uh, this episteme is related to our identity. So I would say that uh, these uh, reflections on collapse uh, made me reflect very deeply on uh, one thing that I failed to see before. And uh, uh, essentially, it's the relationship between uh, uh, my identity and uh, uh, colonialism. So let me explain better. So when you think about 
collapsing systems. You think about, oh my God, we're going to deal with uh, food shortages in the West and maybe you know uh, uh, political instabilities and uh, and so on. But uh, uh, the, the interesting question to see is that this is happening already. So this is happening already in many places in the world, uh, Africa, Asia, uh, South America, like you know Syria, Venezuela, Darfur, uh, and so on. And uh, uh, the fact that we are now uh, really dealing with this idea of uh, collapsing uh, system episteme, and, uh, it, it's because of our identities are very much uh, colonialist identities. We, for example, when we use uh, smartphones, uh, we don't really care that the, the cobalt that is used to, to, to build these tools is uh, mined by uh, kids in Congo. No, so you, you just give it for granted that you basically you deserve your smartphone. Hmm? When you jump on 10 planes a month, uh, because your identity is uh, the identity of a Western traveler or professional that travels all over the world, you don't care about the fact that this is generating uh, greenhouse gases that are probably mean, that probably means genocide for many many island nations in the world, or even you know Bangladesh that is going to be flooded by uh, by waters in, in in a few years and is going to yes. to generate millions of refugees. And if you've ever have you ever been to Bangladesh? No, I don't. It's. 156 million people, it floods every single year by nature. And a 15, a 15 cm rise, a six, centimeter, six inch rise, mm -hmm. will displace millions and millions of people. And it will displace it not just from the water rising, but from storms and other exactly. activity that'll happen in the region. So 156 million people make Syria look like a small, uh, a small challenge in terms of uh, refugees. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the question is, once you uh, discover that uh, your, uh, your systems are collapsing, your episteme is failing, your identity is breaking down, um, then what you need is a new sense-making process because you know basically your sense-making progress process is all about you know making sense of the system through your episteme and and you know basically integrating into your identity so if all the three three things fail you know how do you sense elaborate and act on a world that that is collapsing so so i think what we need now and uh yeah that helps me connect with the second point is a new uh, uh, cosmology of organizing. And when I talk about a new cosmology of organizing, you know, well, the point was, what, what do we organize now? How do we organize? What is the point of organizing in a world that is in collapse? And, you know, when I speak about cosmology of organizing, I speak about a, a, a basically an approach to organizing that makes sense of us as humans in, in the universe. So, uh, you know, when we spoke about where, where is the, the system coming from, you know, this game A, this uh, Western culture, um, this uh, is uh, basically our Western culture is a, is a process that connects directly with many, many things that, happening in, in, that happened in history. So when I, when I mentioned the, Greek, uh, the Greeks, for example, there are some concepts of uh, uh, human development and human potential that are related to uh, Aristotle, Aristoteles. So, so uh, you know, we need to, I think we, we really need to start going back and looking into the roots of our way of, ways of thinking to find this new... Uh, cosmology of organizing, this new uh, meaning to organizing. And uh, yeah, at some point in history, like you know, more or less from the Cartesian age and uh, in the last uh, probably something like 300 years or 400 years, uh, we have really detoured uh, from, uh, uh, I would say, from uh, accepting that there's not uh, that not everything that we can perceive and understand of the world can be explained rationally. So, 
lots of our ways of knowing the world and experiencing the world uh, before the Cartesian rational age were rooted into what we call normally religion or or uh, spiritual practices like you know for example uh, you know the the, the um, I would say the uh, el the basic elements of most of uh, uh, existing uh, religious practices you know or uh, the idea for example that are embedded in uh, Buddhism or, or Stoicism no? so all these aspects of uh, uh, religion as a way to con to connect with the unknown I would say not uh, in I'm not talking about religion in terms of you know a, a practice of uh, going to the church much, much more about uh, understanding the limits of our capabilities to uh, un to uh, perceive the world through our um, senses, let's say. So I, I think, you know, when you start looking into organizing from uh, uh, this new point of view, so accepting what's going on in the world, how this is related with our identity and epistemes, uh, you know, now, what's then? So what, how do we organize that? Uh, what is the, the meaning of organizing after we acknowledge all this? And uh, I'm starting, I'm trying to, to uh, really uh, explore this. And it's not an easy question because, you know, when you, when you, essentially we need to build a new epistemology of organizing. So why we organize, what is the uh, information and knowledge we are seeking by organizing? And uh, I think one thing we need to work on is, uh, first of all, to acknowledge interdependent. So most of the issues that uh, 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 we deal with in, uh, in modern organizing and modern uh, civilization is due to uh, our um, uh, tendency rationalize and, and think in terms of complicated systems and mechanistic systems and predictability, as I said. And uh, suddenly when you realize in the interdependence, and I'm talking, for example, of uh, the work of systems thinkers like, you know, Bateson, for example, and you start to understand, for example, that uh, learning and, and thinking and the, um, the process of uh, making sense of the world is something that happens in the landscape and in the community. So it doesn't happen in one individual, but happens in, in the interdependence of individuals and the natural world and the context where they live, the cities, the, the, the landscapes and so on. Then I think uh, this needs to be integrated in our um, concept of organizing. I'm, I'm, I'm really shocked sometimes when I think about how much our concept of organizing in the last hundred years has been, uh, I would say, uh, completely uh, separated from the concept of landscape, for example, or from the concept of communities, for example. So when you think about a company, for example, you never think in terms of how this company integrates with the landscape, the place where it, where it exists or, or where they are, uh, supply chains exist. So these are thought. It's it's yeah yeah you're, you're getting my my mind is racing. You are definitely as humans we are we are siloed in the thinking of the design of organizations. And while we're trying to add social consciousness, while we're trying to add community engagement, while we're trying to delineate or explore different ways to be able to create a, I would say a change society. I can't tell you in any boardroom, in any executive room, where the connective tissue between all of these pieces is drawn together in strategic thinking. Mm -hmm. I just don't see it. So it's, it's, you're, you're fascinating me with the thought of how the concept of organizing does not have landscape, does not have community. But what it does is it has public relations or advertising or marketing sense of community. And there is some sense of we can do this and will be good for the good for the society. But at the same time, the company's destroying the same thing it's trying to create or even doing more harm than it will be doing in terms of good. 
Mm -hmm. Well, does that make sense? Totally. I think uh, one thing that uh, makes me sometimes um, uh, uh, two, 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 two things. One, one thing is, for example, the use of community in the business language. Mm -hmm. This has been hijacked. So basically, we, we talk about communities of uh, our consumers and so on, but, but uh, uh, we never really consider a, a community uh, uh, um, as it is. So people uh, having uh, shared uh, experiences and, and lives and, and so on. So this is just a, an, an example of how much the business, the business language has hijacked some of these concepts uh, to make it uh, uh, to uh, essentially fake it to the public. So, yeah. in, in think, thinking, for example, about corporate social responsibility, that's one of the biggest, I think, um, uh, scams of the last uh, decades. It's that, that's exactly what I was thinking about when I was talking about it. Is it yes, corporate social responsibility? But is it exactly? No, it's just a, a way to place uh, uh, some kind of. Uh, uh, you know, to 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 paint something of uh, uh, in in the face of the public, but uh, in reality, everybody knows that companies uh, only think in terms of shareholder value, only think in terms of individual development of their CEOs. So there's never this idea of interdependence in how we run uh, uh, we run an, an organization, and that's very important because I think. Uh, there's one point that we don't really get is that learning and evolution and 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 knowledge making and 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 essentially sense making only happens in interdependence. So there is this concept of uh, learning that we have as an individual process, while in reality uh, the interdependence between individuals in a community and uh, with their landscape. That's the, the learning process. So you only learn as a community in the landscape, for real. You never learn as an individual. What you, what you do as an individual is you receive an education. And there's a fantastic work uh, that's being done by, how's it called? Now we have a lapsus. Um, uh, well, get to me, but basically he, he wrote this book called uh, education in between worlds, and uh, 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 there is this idea that uh, you know the industrial education essentially has been uh, created as a way to produce the inputs to the industrial system. So the consumer, for example. So it's a, it's an education system in service of an economy uh, of an economic system. So maybe here's here's an even uh, a, a larger perspective. I did a TED talk on education. Mm -hmm. uh, by, there's a long story to it, but one of the things I realized was that education is government. Mm -hmm. Government puts in place people with an educational system that supports the governance, which also supports the economic system in which it thrives on. It's connected. Yes. Yes, I mean, someone would say that education is uh, uh, more than governance, is, uh, I would say, <laughs> uh, colonialism of the mind. You know, it's really... Uh... Yes, that's what I meant. Is it, yeah, it fits the, <laughs> fits the bill. It's, the, Chinese, the Chinese have wrote systems. The, uh, the American system, most people don't understand, the American system is very, very uh, disconnected. You don't get the same education in every school. You don't get the same process in every school, and each region has capabilities of being able to deliver within a tolerance. So one school compared to the next school might be very, very, very different as compared to, let's say, Asia. And then you take a country like India, and India hasn't been able to give clean, fresh water or sewage and sanitation to its people, which has been around for thousands of years or hundreds of years. They've been around for thousands of years, so their challenge is even going back to the fundamentals is how do we service our people? So education becomes a, one of the challenges that they have that is completely different than everybody else. So it's a real big, the producing of the inputs is what you were starting to say. The producing of the inputs is very much tied to how the government wants education to be able to mm -hmm. well, uh, 
Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, I think this uh, helps me reconnect with the work of Zachary Stein, that was the person that I was uh, was talking about. That, uh, you know, this idea that essentially uh, education is in service of the continuity of the uh, mainstream system. It's again a uh, continuity uh, machine. So we educate people so that they can play into the game A. You know? They can play into the industrial uh, uh, consumerist capitalist society that is pretty much uh, uh, now uh, uh, you know um, covering uh, all over the world you know we could have a, a discussion on how china and india are integrating this uh, it's a little bit different especially with china and uh, maybe this has me connect with the last point uh, which is about technology uh, uh, china ha has a little bit different approach because uh, uh, of the daoist uh, tradi tradition and thinking which is completely different from our western tradition uh, india as well as a different uh, world view i would say uh, yeah. so but but in general i mean uh, coming back to the point we were discussing the point to me now regarding how do we organize is how do we organize in the landscape and in the community so that we can be uh, we can build organizations that are in service of our learning process and when i talk about the learning process i talk about uh, you know uh, developmental uh, uh, steps and normally the developmental step we are very much uh, used to perceive as humans is the developmental step between being a baby and a kid and becoming a, an adult that's very clear to people but there is another developmental step, which is from the uh, adult to becoming wise, that is a, a, a um, uh, similar developmental step that we, we never do in, in the uh, traditional industrial economy or, uh, or system. You, you never are required to become wise in a modern, uh, in a modern civilization. And um, I'm, you know, my impression is if we really want to have a, ch a little chance to avoid the complete destruction of our planet and uh, uh, the extinction of the human species, we will need to very soon uh, create this scalable organization that uh, basically helps humans to become wise, not just adults and play their role in, a, in, a, you know, in this kind of uh, predetermined uh, um, industrial society. So, so that's the point. The, the point of organizing now in a system that is collapsing uh, is about acknowledging interdependence with landscape and community, creating organizations that are in service of evolutive learning and becoming wiser. So, uh, kind of, uh, I would say, uh, completely transform the relationship between the economy and the education system. The economy as, and organizing, uh, uh, you know, creating systems that are uh, 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 targeted to generate these uh, powerful uh, processes of evolution and learning across communities. So that's more or less, I think, what we need to, to think about now. And you can uh, you can imagine how much this is detached from the theory of organizing that we have these days, which is much more oh, about. It's, it's completely. It's a it's a whole new paradigm. Exactly. Exactly, and uh, yeah, coming back to the last uh, to the last uh, point that uh, what is the meaning of how do we essentially integrate these reflections and thinking with uh, um, technology and with uh, techniques? I would say more than technology. You know, so uh, for example, now we have, and uh, you know, I've been working for like, the last five years into uh, you know modeling how you design highly scalable organizations, platforms. Um, you know, this idea of platform, for example, is uh, premised on, uh, uh, you know, the technological developments that we are dealing with. Because uh, uh, essentially what happened in the last uh, couple of decades from, from when we, uh, uh, we have been having the internet is that uh, the transaction cost, the coordination cost among people has been plummeting rapidly, and uh, uh, this has been quite challenging to the uh, existing uh, concept and idea of the firm 
as in uh, cause terms, for example. No? So this idea that the firm exists to uh, reduce the transaction cost has been, uh, of course, challenged deeply by a widespread, uh, you know, plummeting of transaction costs. Now, now you have these huge companies like, you know, Airbnbs and the Amazons or the Ubers and so on that um, orchestrate millions of people just through technology, through algorithms. So, uh, you know, somehow we need to acknowledge that uh, this technology exists and gives us new possibilities in thinking about uh, organizing. Uh, also, with this new, uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, fire uh, uh, inside ourselves uh, about you know, reinventing organizations for learning and communities and landscape, we can still use this technology. But somehow, I think this, uh, this moment in which we have the technology and on the other hand, we have this powerful insight and vision that we need to change our episteme, we need to change our identities, we need to reinvent organizing, uh, we, are, we deal with this uh, friction between these two things. And uh, this is not a new friction at all. I think uh, one thing that also I've realized in the last few months is, uh, is that, uh, you know, philosophy is very important because most of the times when you have these questions, uh, uh, you, can, you can see, uh, you, can what, you can look into philosophy and the history of philosophy, and you will see many people that have dealt with uh, 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 these topics and these questions be before you, and, and, and so you can find a lot of uh, uh, food for thought in, in philosophy, for example. And uh, one thing that I've been thinking about lately uh, regarding this uh, uh, relationship between, uh, you know, this new way of thinking and uh, the use of technology uh, has been the work of Heidegger, and especially his uh, uh, question on technology. Um, uh, on techniques, uh, that is an essay that he wrote in the in the fifties, basically, uh, um, and uh, it's all about understanding that uh, uh, you know technology somehow uh, is uh, in in Heidegger's term is how the being, how the uh, you know somehow God, let's say, or or nature manifests itself to the human in this moment on, in history. So we need to, to develop a more moral and conscious relationship with the technology uh, uh, because otherwise if we just let technology uh, uh, unfold itself in the world uh, what happens is that uh, essentially everything becomes an object everything becomes the uh, background uh, he uses this term of uh, gestel so the background of technology and everything becomes an object and nobody else is the subject anymore. So basically, uh, you know, we, we just look at nature, the world, humans, other humans as resources to be consumed. And uh, if you think about the, what, what I said before when I spoke about the smartphones and the people in Congo, you know, that's more or less what's happening. We are essentially looking at the phone and say, okay, I cannot... Uh, I cannot exist without a phone. The phone is more or less uh, something that is, uh, uh, I would say, all right. Yeah, it's a right. right. You know, it's something that I am, uh, uh, I am defined by. And so, who cares about the people in Congo? Okay. So, and this can be really generalized in, in you know, uh, um, in general about our. Uh, relationship with progress and technology and our organization's relationship with progress and technology. So it's a moment, I think it's, it's the moment in which we really become more aware of this technological progress and more aware of our potential and try to re-embed in our theory of organizing uh, a cosmology of organizing. So. Uh, we really try to see the connection between the universe and ourselves and our organization in the landscape, in the community. I know this, this is a massive undertaking. It's not something that is going to, you know, flow in the market like the, the corporate social responsibility age. Uh, it's something much deeper. And um, 
But I think uh, that if we really want to uh, talk about um, uh, essentially evolving our game A, that is, as I said, essentially uh, fated to collapse into something that is what we, go, would, we could call a game B, that is more regenerative and, and is completely different, uh, we need to uh, accept this challenge. So, so uh, I'm hearing hesitation and I understand, I, I perceive on my end an understanding of why. So I'm going to ask you the question, do you believe humans will transition to this place? Well, that's a very, very deep question, and uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I wasn't. I did you think I was going to ask you an easy? No, one? no. But I mean, I, I totally take it. It's you. I, I take this question with uh, with uh, enthusiasm because, for example, one if if uh, if we uh, rely on some kind of knowledge that may be uh, worth in this age of identity collapse and episteme, uh, you know, failure. For example, I may look into Buddha's uh, teachings. And one of the Buddha's, uh, of Buddha's most important teachings is that the future doesn't exist. So really, this question is about the future. And this is a question that we can only answer in the present. Because the future right. just doesn't exist, you know. Once Einstein said, you know, only fools can think about present, past, and future as being different things. And uh, yeah, I think one issue that brought us here is our Western civilization, Western identity. Uh, uh, I would say inclination to think in terms of the future. To think in terms of, okay, I'm doing this now because in the future I will be more safe, uh, or, or, and so on, for example. And uh, uh, instead, if we really start to think in terms of presence, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm developing this idea of mindful organizations. So, you know, we are uh, living into the uh, mindfulness age. You know, everybody's doing mindfulness, meditation, and so on. And, and there's so much now being written about how... It, uh, mindfulness does not come with any philosophies behind it. Mindfulness does not come with Buddhism and Tao, any of these his, uh, this historical lessons that typically mindfulness brought with them and that we're, we're not making the progress. We just have people trying to believe that if they calm down, if they rest a little bit, if they become more with, one with themselves, that the world will change without the understanding that without action, there is no change. Exactly. And uh, uh, if you look instead to the Buddhist tradition, for example, it gives you uh, this framing of mindfulness as a transformative experience that uh, transforms your salience landscape, as John Verveke said recently in a podcast. So, so essentially what we need to do now is, is, is probably to change our salience landscape. We need to change what we value in the world. We need to change what is salient to us in the world. Uh, and we can do that through, uh, uh, again, uh, 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 changing or, you know, I would say, opening to new cosmologies, new uh, 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 ways of thinking, new ways of perceiving the world. Part of it is for sure also, uh, you know, the process of being more mindful and present and meditative, uh, you know, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, somehow, I think uh, uh, for us, as uh, enlightened people, uh, uh, as I wish we, we really are, uh, uh, it's a moment to acknowledge that we have a responsibility and we have the responsibility to uh, rethink uh, our uh, processes of organizing in a way that is, uh, uh, let's say, de-exceptionalized, that is much more present and connected with landscape and communities. And if we can really, really do this, if we can overcome our idea of uh, Western uh, individual exceptionalism, uh, maybe we have a chance to, uh, uh, I would say, trace uh, a direction of, of progress, uh, of transformation, of uh, 
uh, teacher. <laughs> I, I, I love your answer because we're, we're kind of, it's a beating around the bush answer. It's a tough one. The beating around the bush, not, not direct. It's that when I play this out in my mind and I, I can hear you're wrestling with these concepts of how to make the change. I have a few things that, that influence my thinking. Number one, whenever I think and you'll, whenever I strategize, whenever I go anywhere, I always use the number 7.5. And 7.5 is the number of people on this planet. And I have worked in Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Philippines, Indonesia. Uh, I've worked in South Africa, parts of Africa. I've worked in the Central America. When you see the numbers, when you see the scale, when you see the size, and you see how they've transformed into consumers based upon a, as you're saying, a colonialism, a, a uh, ownership mentality we have to have in order to be happy, it's, it's a huge obstacle. The second is, I don't, you probably, I don't know if you looked me up a little bit, I, bet I have this Project Moon Hut Foundation and there are six areas that we're concentrating on and these are four that I think that influence what you're talking about. We have mass extinction. I use 12 to 24 species dying every day, but the United Nations came back and said 200. Some people say there's eight and a half million. Some people say there's 50 million, but still 200 species a day, including large ones disappearing, are gonna have massive influences on people who are just sitting and meditating. There's social displacement combination of artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics, 3D printing, uh, synthetic engineering, sensor tech, all coming together at a rapid speed we've never seen. Mm -hmm. We have resource depletion. Uh, we've destroyed. Uh, China has 25 years left of topsoil, they say. Uh, United States has about 65 years left of topsoil, and other countries are worse. There is, the last one is the climate change uh, component and how rapidly the oceans are changing, the water temperature is changing, and everything that goes along with it. So I use that as a secondary. And the third one, which really influences all the thinking, that I want your comment on these three tied together of how to do this, because I'm actually looking for answers, not as many questions as answers, is when we talk of the world, word collapse, <clears throat> when that's the reason I wanted this program with you, when uh, sometimes I don't do interviews because I can't find something with the person, but use the word collapse. And in my mind, I have recently looked up the word biosphere or ecosystem collapsing. And it was surprising for me to learn how fast that happens. And there have been eco ecological collapses. It takes seven to 10 days from the moment in which the critical number, critical mass, the critical elimination of a species, a, a, a water, whatever it may be, it takes seven to 10 days for the collapse to happen. It is, ha if you look it up, you'll see it has happened in Australia. It is, they don't have it written, but I, uh, I know people have said it's happened in China. So there are parts of the world that seven to 10 days so if we're losing what I just mentioned above, we have these changes happening from resources and mass extinction and overfishing and whatever you want to call, our oceans changing. The timeline that I use, and I'm not going to go into it, is much shorter. So my question is, in, you said, what is the meaning doing this to do this at scale? How do we organize? How do we also do this with speed? Mm-hmm. Speed. I mean, we don't have, we do have, we're going to survive in one way, shape, or form. It just matters who, how, and why, uh, what we'll do. But what's the speed? What do you think? How do we do this fast? Mm -hmm. Well, two things that uh, come to my mind. Um, the, first, the first thing to do it uh, um, to, is to acknowledge that uh, uh, as you can, as you said, it's, it's true that systems normally, uh, especially eco ecological systems, they collapse quite quite fast. But in general, this is a property of uh, um, all complex systems. So complex systems tend to 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 do to go through uh, state transitions. So if you think about, for example, the hard climate, 
you know, we are thinking in terms of these linear things, but uh, many, many indication, indicators tell us that, that uh, there may be a, a, a state transition uh, uh, happening in the background. And uh, uh, when it happens, it, it's, it's fast, you know. So it may well be that at some point in the future, we, uh, we have a, a rapid transition towards a hotter uh, health system. And that's going to be very complicated for us to manage. Uh, so one thing is, for sure, these systems are transitioning very fast. One thing we need to uh, acknowledge, I think, uh, to be fast in responding, is to stop telling ourselves stories and try to start uh, grounding ourselves in the collapse. So acknowledging that, uh, as I said before, collapse is just, um, I would say, uh, uh, um, it's, it's a consequence of our way of uh, thinking and, and our identities and our systems. So it's not that uh, it's uh, possibly not happening. It's essentially surely happening and is most likely already happening. So once we acknowledge this, we can be fast in changing our approach, mindset, and process, and, and whatever we do. So, for example, each of the people uh, that I, I'm talking with, or, 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 or you know, mm, uh, the professionals I'm, I'm in touch with, um, uh, even if they see the collapse, they don't. They're not uh, most likely not changing their priorities. They are not changing their salience landscape, as I said before. Exactly. So one thing that we one thing that we really need to do is sit down and say, okay, how do I stop self-deceiving myself into believing that the system is healthy and I can plan for the next 20 or 30 years in this system? How do I stop self-deceiving myself about this? And how do I restructure my sailing landscape so that I can start to do the work that needs to be done or the work that is morally just and the work that is needed now to, to have a transition towards a wiser organization system, a wiser way of living in community and landscape. So that's one thing. And this is about speed because it's about the speed of starting to think in new terms so as fast as possible, we got to do this uh, transition in our thinking and, and in our salience uh, landscape. So that's one thing. And another thing is, and, and I'm quoting here one guy that is called Bayo Akomolafe that you may know. Uh, and uh, he says one thing that is very, very interesting. He says, uh, 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 basically, the times are serious, the times are challenging, let's slow down. So it's not about speeding up. It's, when I said before, I said we need to de-exceptionalize our lives. We need to st start thinking that we are not exceptional, we are not uh, godlike, we are not superhuman. We, you know, for example, uh, I see a lot of climate scientists uh, that are flying all over the place all the time. You know? So for me, it's a bit uh, awkward, you know, because uh, if you still think that uh, you are important, your impact in the world is important, you don't understand what's going on. Because as, as long as we are going to think in terms of uh, my ego, my individual capabilities are so important that I need to do more, I need to do faster, I need to reach more people, I need to bring my message, that's not going to work because what we need to develop is a ways to create new narratives that are more into the interdependence and in the conversation between us where nobody is exceptional. Once we start, stop focusing on our identities and our ego, we start focusing on the systems. We start focusing on what, what we can do so that the system can grow, so that the system can learn. What is our contribution to a learning system? And I think that this is somehow where networks and where technologies, highly scalable technologies like the ones that we are trying to master with platform design and platform thinking and ecosystems uh, is going to help us. 
it's, it's going to be about the small things that we can do in designing these organizations uh, that can put big things in motion, like uh, uh, John Hagel said. So uh, if I design, for example, a, a, a new kind of organization that can thrive locally uh, and uh, uh, has a model that can be replicated in a distributed way where we can have uh, flows of exchanges between distributed nodes uh, and, uh, you know, I design it in a way that is uh, uh, essentially resonating with people's uh, new priorities and new salience landscape, this can be fast to grow because it's, uh, there is this resonance, this pull between the communities and the users and, and the systems and so on. Uh, but it's not something that I'm going to push, you know, and say, okay, I'm going to change the world now just by speeding up my uh, egocentric message to the world. I like uh, the, it's making me think, and I'm trying to come up with or trying to frame what I'm thinking in my mind is, I, I'm in London right now, and not in Luxembourg, and I was sitting with someone last night or two nights ago in uh, one of the terminals and while I was there the guy said ask me something about why aren't people changing why aren't they in the present and I said there's a, a big challenge is how do you keep up with the, th the things that we've created around our lives the pressures to pay bills to take care of the health of our family or our friends to be able to do, uh, to pay the ticket to get home at the end of the night, uh, to have food on the table. And they're so locked in that mindset that waking them up is that they're somewhat aware that there's a change that needs to happen. But the pull from the other side is so strong that the damage that they do every day is 10 times more than they understand. And he, he looked at me at one point and I said, let me give you a simple. I read, and I can't remember the guy's name, but one of the guys who was involved in the creation of Siri, he says that every time you take a photograph uh, on your camera, on your phone, and you post it to Facebook, the energy consumption of that one photo to post is the equivalent of three 20 watt light bulbs running for an hour. So while we say we're taking, we're not using plastic bags or we're not eating meat, and yet you posted 35 photos yesterday, <laughs> three today, 10 tomorrow, you've done more damage to the system than doing the others. And it's a challenge to what are we are supposed to wake up to. And I, I'm... I understand what you're saying. I have my my fear is the speed. And I know that the platforms have capabilities. You and I both work in them. But I'm still afraid in my mind, and maybe I'm wrong, of the speed of transition going back to the 7.5 billion. Going back to the 200 species per day. Going back to the 7 to 10 days. And not that... I want to solve it. I don't think I can solve it. I think that we have to solve it. And just being mindful or is, is a start. It needs to have a kickstart. Uh, we can't just build a fire. We have to build a bonfire. Very bad analogy, I know, because it's polluting the environment. But it's almost as if we have to build this huge fire very quickly so that we can get some type of transformation. And I, I'm, I'm still struggling, Simone. I'm struggling. I don't, I'm not, I hear people talk about it in first world. I hear people, some talk about it in third world. But I, I, my other home is Hong Kong and the US. I, I mean, these are places where two, 12 billion gallons of solid waste runoff or runoff into the oceans goes every day and other countries that are larger, India and China. 12 billion is 300 million bathtubs. And that's not including radioactive waste and waste from insecticides and waste from 
uh, all other types of uh, runoff. These are massive numbers. And I understand the platform has leverageability. But Simone, I'm looking for something and maybe I, you're not the answer. I, I'm not looking for you to be the answer. I'm just trying to push a little bit. How do we take the platform and really make it do something? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's, a, that's the point. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, there is a lot of talking, for example, online uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the web about this transition from game A to game B. Um, but that's what you're talking about. How do we transition to game B fast enough so that we are not screwed? So, unfortunately, nobody knows what game B is. So, nobody knows it because uh, uh, it may be uh, out of our epistemic framing. So, maybe we don't know that because we cannot know that with our episteme, current episteme. So, one thing that I think is very, very much very important for us as individuals is to uh, uh, try to uh, uh, immerse ourselves into higher states of consciousness that can really transform the way we perceive the world and uh, can let us, for example, go beyond the fear and the attachment to our existing identities and lives. Uh, because most, more, most of the, um, our tendency to continue on what we are without any change uh, is due to the fear. It's due to the fear that we have change. It's due to the attachment that we have to the present things that we have, that we own. Uh, so these uh, experiences of higher states of consciousness that can come, for example, through deep meditation practice are uh, highly transformative and can really be the bridge between uh, ourselves uh, becoming a, a part of the problem into becoming, I would say, one of the characters that tell the story of the solution, let's say. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we need to also acknowledge complexity. We need to acknowledge that we live in nature and, uh, uh, you know, our present experience on this planet comes through a universe that for, uh, you know, more or less million, billions of years ago, uh, you know, pieces of uh, metals uh, cooled down and built and made up a, a planet and then this planet got uh, the very fortunate chance of developing life on it and then at some point there were there were millions of dinosaurs on this planet and uh, uh, this you know uh, <laughs> this uh, big rock from the space hit the planet and and you know that I, I, sometimes I reflect that uh, the, the hitting window for the, um, this uh, meteor that uh, uh, essentially made uh, uh, um, the, the dinosaurs extinct uh, was eight minutes. Yeah. So maybe it's not possible to turn a complex system fast enough so that we don't create any harm. So, uh, you know, we don't really know what's going on in the future. We don't really know how much suffering or we don't, we don't really know how much, uh, what kind of world we're going to deal with in the next uh, centuries or decades. It may be a very different world. Uh, it may be that we, we cannot turn things uh, on, their, on their own uh, fast enough to prevent uh, widespread uh, suffering and, and death and war. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, I think we need to to really become part of a process of systems change. Uh, we need to acknowledge that systems change altogether. It's not about us. Uh, it's about uh, you know uh, change that starts everywhere and and uh, and uh, that you cannot really control. So um, uh, there is a, some some kind of unknown in the future, and uh, uh, this is. Uh, 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 you know, based on us accepting complexity, I think. And accepting complexity uh, is the first step to uh, starting to regain uh, meaning in our lives, uh, uh, you know, because uh, we have been taught, uh, we have been, uh, you know, our epistemology has been built by a system that uh, refuses unpredictability and complexity and 
told us uh, lies for uh, centuries that we can control everything with our with our minds with our rationality and that's a first step i think uh, i think somehow uh, somehow uh, 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 accepting that we don't have an answer to this question is uh, one of the first steps we need to do to really start to transition into something new yeah thank you uh i do want to say and even though it's on the program that's fine with me I, I would like you to take a look at uh, a document that uh, I've put together, and I'd like to get your opinion on it. It's I, I've I've got what's called Project Moonhot Foundation, but one of the things that I've been writing about is called the Age of Infinite. Mm-hmm. That we're not going into the fourth industrial revolution. We're not going to the fourth series. That we have the potential to step into the Age of Infinite possibilities, and the that Age of possibilities can only happen if we have uh, these systemic changes that you're talking about and and you're uh, referencing. And uh, not that we have one shot because we're not saving the planet. We're just trying to make sure that humans survive in our own uh, egocentric way. This was, uh, it it, it took a spin. I wasn't sure where we were going to go on on the program. So I very much appreciate uh, Simone, what you have said and shared, I I love it. It got me thinking in in different directions, and that's exactly what I was hoping. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. It was uh, great to talk, and uh, in, you know, uh, um, I think that we only learn and develop our uh, sense making in interaction. So I really, really welcome this conversation. It's been uh, fantastic to make sense of uh, uh, my thinking as well. So thanks. Pretty much. Yeah. It, it's it's amazing. I, I, I don't pick interviews that easily, and for some reason, even though we've had some challenges, I wanted to get you on the program, and I am very, 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 very grateful that you and I were able to keep on working through the challenges to make sure we were here today. So, fantastic. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, so uh, I want to thank all of you who are listening. I hope you've learned something today to make a difference in your life and the lives of others and the, and, and the planet in which we live. Always remember, you can't fix yesterday. You can only create tomorrow. So don't worry about what's happened. Take today and move forward. Love to connect with you. David at davidgoldsmith.com. Uh, Instagram, Mr. David Goldsmith. You can connect on Twitter, at David Goldsmith. Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, we're all out there. And uh, what, would you like your email? What would you like to give, Simone? Simone? Uh, well, uh, maybe a good one is hello at platformdesigntoolkit.com. Uh, that's our uh, you know website, platformdesigntoolkit.com. You can write me there. Well, perfect. And... Again, I'd love to connect with you. Uh, Anybody who's interested, I appreciate the time. So to everybody, I'm David Goldsmith, and thank you for listening.